The views and opinions expressed in I and the Triangle do not represent WKNC or the student media. Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle, an NC State student-run, student-scripted, and student-produced news show on WKNC 88.1 FM HD1 Raleigh. I'm Owen Trainer. On tonight's episode, our contributor Elizabeth Esser sits down with Executive Director of NC State University's Counseling Center, Dr. Monica Osborne. They'll be discussing the COVID-19 pandemic's impact on the mental health of college students. Later, we'll have my interview with Blakely Hildebrand, a staff attorney with the Southern Environmental Law Center who is challenging the construction of an Eastern North Carolina natural gas facility. And to top things off, we'll end with two stories from Nadia Ramlagon of the North Carolina News Service. Stay tuned to Eye on the Triangle. Today, I am joined with Dr. Monica Osborne, Executive Director of the Counseling Center here at NC State to talk about the impact of COVID-19 on the mental health of college students as we come up on a year since lockdown. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today, Dr. Osborne. Very glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Everyone has been impacted by COVID in different ways. Dr. Osborne, in what ways has the pandemic uniquely impacted the mental health of college students? That's a a great question. Um, It it significantly impacted the mental health of um, not only college students, but um, you know, people around the nation. The way that we're really seeing that in our students um, at NC State is first and foremost isolation, not having as many social outlets and um, opportunities for connection um, has been a significant challenge related to mental health. And after the lockdown, did you find that more students were seeking out counseling resources? It's interesting because it has kind of had almost a wave effect. When when everybody left campus, we experienced um, a lull in services. I I think students were really focused on getting home, getting moved, getting settled, trying to figure out first-order needs of how am I going to manage my academics? Where am I going to live? Do I have internet? Um, So we didn't start seeing a pickup in service delivery until over the summer. Usually we're a little slower in the summer and that wasn't true this past summer because once students kind of got settled and realized that they could access us still in a telehealth capacity, um, they started doing that. And and we absolutely made services um, available for them. So then we had another increase when folks came back to campus in fall. And then when it went remote again, it dropped again. It was, it's kind of like it followed a little bit of a a roller coaster for sure. And how have students responded to counseling sessions virtually? Really well. We have a, a significant number of students that really like it. And um, some students even it's preferred. I mean, it's not the same as being in person, right? I mean, we're all trying to do the best we can with what we have. But students have been, for the most part, really grateful that the services 
exist and that we've done so much to reduce the barriers of access. It really is as simple as calling the counseling center. And you do actually talk to one of our front office workers and we have our paperwork on a link on the website. Um, so it really, we, it, it, you know, it took us a little while, but we really have a, a system that flows to remove some of the barriers for access for students. And what are some coping strategies that students have been using or that you could recommend for students dealing with mental health struggles related to COVID? This is an area that our department prevention services at NC State does a phenomenal job because not everybody needs counseling and sometimes they just need that connection and support or maybe additional resources. If you go to the website and just type in prevention services drop-in spaces, an entire list of community drop-in spaces appears to where students can meet and talk to folks that are struggling with similar things that they are. So that's one of the places that I, I think is um, has been a tremendous resource. Um, we also have workshop series in the Counseling Center. Our anxiety tool kit or getting unstuck that focuses on some symptoms of depression that really help um, teach students those coping strategies. Um, and, and some of them are just gentle reminders of things that we already know, right? We need to make sure that we're getting appropriate amounts of sleep that is key to our bodies and you know, eating foods that are um, nourishing and healthy that help take care of us, going out for a walk. I mean, just some of those basic things um, can really improve mental health significantly. How do you sense students are feeling about the pandemic right now? Do they seem like they've eased into it? Are they optimistic as we enter spring? You know, I'm not sure. And I, and I think, um, you know, if I had to create the narrative in my head for what others are feeling. Maybe it's similar to myself. Some days I am optimistic. Some days I'm scared to death. Some days I'm ready to take it on and have my groove and, and um, have a good plan. And then other days, I just want to pull the blanket up over my head. Um, so I, I don't think there's just one path. We're all doing the very best that we can. I can tell you that we've seen significant resilience and creativity in our students. Um, there is just such a, a desire to succeed and figure out a way forward. And that, that instills a lot of hope. And I don't want to minimize how challenging this time is. You know, we have many students who are managing grief and loss related to COVID. We're in a national environment that is really painful and activating for folks, both with you know, what's happening with COVID and, and other things that are happening in the world. So um, I, I think it really depends on the day is, is the best answer I have for you there. And then finally, is there anything that you want the student body or listeners as a whole to know about your resources? Continue to use them, continue to connect with one another, figure out what you need, try it on, help each other. Um, and, and that could be going to a, a workout with 
well rec. Um, that could be, you know, a nutrition class. Um, it could be doing a drop-in space with us, connecting with one of um, the centers on campus. We are still doing some drop-in spaces um, in collaboration with the Women's Center, African-American Cultural Center. And if you really, if you need someone to talk to, then, then come to the counseling center um, because having that support, whether it's in a group space or an individual counseling space can make all the difference in the world. You don't have to be alone. Thank you again, Dr. Osborne, for speaking with us today on Eye on the Triangle. Very glad to be here and thank you again for having me. Have a wonderful day. For more information on NC State's Counseling Center, resources can be found at counseling.dasa.ncsu.edu. Reporting for Eye on the Triangle, this is Elizabeth Esser. This is Owen Trainer with WKNC 88.1's Eye on the Triangle. Joining us today is Blakely Hildebrand. Blakely is an attorney with the Southern Environmental Law Center, and she's here to discuss her lawsuit to halt the construction of what could be North Carolina's largest biogas facility. Blakely, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Owen. To start, would you mind briefly explaining what exactly a biogas facility is and what it is that your lawsuit aims to do? Sure, let me start by talking about what biogas is. Um, biogas um, is, is often referred, is, is a common term that's often used to describe energy that's generated from swine feces and urine. Um, biogas consists of methane, carbon dioxide, and other gases. And once it's processed, um, can be used to generate electricity. Uh, so this project uh, that, that we're talking about today um, is, 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 is a biogas project. Um, and, and I think before kind of getting into the details of the project it, itself, I'd like to kind of zoom out a little bit and talk about um, the lagoon and spray field system on which this project relies. Um, you know, in North Carolina, biogas production relies on an outdated waste management system that involves storing untreated hog manure and urine in uncovered pits uh, where the solid waste falls to the bottom and the liquid waste floats to the top. Uh, and that liquid waste is then sprayed onto nearby cropland. And this waste management system is, we call, we generally refer to this as, as the lagoon and spray field system. And this system is used at the vast majority of industrial hog operations in North Carolina, most of which are located in the coastal plain of the state. Um, and there was a 2007 law uh, that put a moratorium on the use of the lagoon and spray field system for new and expanded hog operations. So this biogas project uh, that um, we are focused on is a project that is sponsored by Dominion Energy and Smithfield Foods. Uh, Smithfield Foods is the largest pork producer in the country. And these two companies, these two giants in their industries are putting uh, about $500 million into a joint venture called Align Renewable Natural Gas, which will make money from producing biogas in North Carolina and a few other states. Uh, Align's first major project is called the Grady Road Project. And that's the subject of, or the, the, the focus of this, of this lawsuit. Um, 
Alon's first major biogas project in North Carolina is located in Duplin and Sampson counties, which again is in the coastal plain of North Carolina. Uh, and the Grady, it's the, the project is called the Grady Road Project. And it, it has three main components. The first is capping hog waste pits at 19 industrial hog operations in Duplin and Sampson counties, constructing a central processing facility and then laying a pipeline that will connect each of the 19 hog operations and the processing facility. So in brief, what happens is you know, each Smithfield and Dominion cap hog waste lagoons in each of the 19 hog operations. Those hog operations trap the biogas. The biogas travels through this new maze of pipelines uh, and delivers that biogas into this central um, processing facility. The processing facility collects all the biogas brings it up to pipeline standards and injects the biogas into the existing natural gas pipeline. You mentioned that Smithfield and Dominion didn't disclose their project's full environmental impact. What exactly was it that they didn't reveal and how did you uncover this? So the key, the, one of the key pieces of information that Smithfield did not disclose to DEQ is the identif identification of these 19 hog operations that are part of the project. And we know that there are 19 hog operations that are part of this project because Smithfield and Dominion have said as much. They've in their public statements about this project and their filings with the North Carolina Utilities Commission and in their representations to the state, they have described this project as involving 19 industrial hog operations, but they haven't disclosed which operations are part of this project. Um, and in order for DEQ, uh, the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality, uh, who regulates uh, water pollution and air pollution in the state, in order for DEQ, uh, DEQ has to know what is coming into that central processing facility in order to know, um, in order to, to adequately protect communities that live nearby and protect air quality um, in the area. And I'd like to be specific, Owen, um, SELC has challenged the air quality permit that was issued to um, a line for the processing facility, the central gathering processing facility where all of the biogas is collected. Mm -hmm. With this sort of lack of transparency, why do you think it is that the DEQ issued the permit in the first place? I think DEQ, um, yeah, DEQ, uh, Smithfield didn't tell DEQ uh, what information they need. I think DEQ is handicapped in providing the, in, 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 in uh, drafting the permit. Um, as they did. Uh, we think that Smithfield and Dominion should have been more transparent with DEQ. And in fact, DEQ requested information from, from Smithfield and, and Dominion on numerous, uh, on numerous occasions. Uh, and, and Smithfield and Dominion were not transparent about, um, about all of the details of the project. Um, and we're, 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 we're asking that the DEQ require more transparency out of, um, out of uh, uh, Smithfield and Dominion um, and to write a, a permit that's more protective um, of communities and the environment. Smithfield and Dominion have actually said that this project would benefit the environment because it would reduce CO2 emissions by 150,000 metric tons per year. What's your response to that? I think this, the industry has greenwashed this project. This project will entrench and lock in a very harmful um, waste management system, the Lagoon and Sprayfield system that has polluted our waterways, that's polluted the air, that has created adverse health impacts for pe people living nearby, has created noxious, noxious odors, 
uh, and other unbearable conditions for people living uh, close to these hog operations on which uh, Smithville and Dominion's project relies. Not to mention the fact that um, the biogas is not a truly renewable resource like solar and wind energy because the emissions that biogas depends on are not naturally occurring. Smithfield is, is uh, through this project, Smithfield is um, maximizing the amount of methane that's produced from these hog, hog lagoons. And while they're capping and trapping most of that methane, there are opportunities for leakage along the way, which may mitigate some of the climate benefits uh, that the industry is so loudly touting. But at the end of the day, this project locks in a harmful system. It's, it's biogas is not a truly renewable resource like wind and solar. Uh, and, and we don't think the project should move forward as, as proposed. You mentioned the local communities. How much of a say did they have in the approval of this project? Uh, in the past, Smithfield has gone into some hot water for either dismissing or ignoring their concerns. Was it any different this time around? We are very concerned about the lack of transparency uh, uh, surrounding this project, um, not just um, because we're concerned about the permits that have been issued uh, and the, the lack of information uh, that DEQ had from Smithfield before it issued a permit for this project. But we're also concerned um, about, you know, about the lack of transparency for communities. I mean, people cannot protect themselves and provide the agency when the, 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 the state agency with meaningful feedback if they don't know the details of the project. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that, that is going in in their backyard. Um, in, for example, uh, how are they? How are they supposed to, to talk about? Or how are they supposed to, to know how this project is going to impact them if they don't know which hog operations are involved in the project, where the pipeline is that Smithfield uh, and Dominion plan to construct? Uh, people can't protect themselves and provide the agency with feedback if they don't know the details of the project, and they can't protect themselves um, if they don't know the details of the project. People of color and the poor are disproportionately impacted by agricultural pollution. Is this the case with the Grady Road project as well? Yes, uh, biogas rely, relies on the primitive lagoon and spray field system that harms residents, uh, and it's been well documented that people who um, that communities of color living near uh, lagoons and spray fields are disproportionately communities of color and communities of color bear a disproportionate burden of the health impacts and environmental impacts that are associated with this very primitive waste management system. With respect to the lagoon and spray field system, uh, Smithfield promised the state of North Carolina to tighten their environmental standards and research alternatives in, in an agreement over 20 years ago. They still have not followed through with this promise, but you're now asking Attorney General Josh Stein to enforce the agreement. Tell us more about that. Sure. In the year 2000, the Attorney General and Smithfield Foods entered into the Smithfield Agreement, which is a voluntary agreement, again, between the state and um, Smithfield Foods, under which Smithfield committed to developing and installing cleaner technology at their company-owned contract operations in the state. There were several technologies that uh, were developed um, in, in the years after the, the agreement was signed that addressed the noxious odors from the lagoon and spray field system, the water pollution, uh, the, the, the air pollution, and, and other impacts of the lagoon and spray field system. But Smithfield did not implement any of these 
uh, new waste management technologies on their operations because the technologies were not found to be economically feasible. And that's a term of art uh, under, uh, that was used under the agreement. Um, in short, Smithfield did not install these technologies because the technologies were found to be too expensive. But the candidate technologies and the economic feasibility analysis was conducted you know, over a decade ago, and a lot has changed since then. In particular, biogas development is now on the horizon, and Smithfield stands to make money and profit from the Lagoon and Sprayfield system. Uh, there are technologies out there that address uh, the water pollution and air pollution and odors that are uh, that result from Smithfield's use of the Lagoon and Sprayfield system. Smithfield has used these cleaner technologies in other states like Missouri. And we think that the technology that Smithfield has used in other states that is, um, that is cost effective can be a starting point for what Smithfield can use here in North Carolina. So it is time that Smithfield upholds uh, uh, its obligations under the Smithfield Agreement and follows through on its promises to clean up its mess uh, here in North Carolina. So the pork industry is known for being a powerful interest in North Carolina, and most lawsuits that have challenged any of its activities haven't been successful. What makes you think this one will be any different? The pork industry is very powerful in North Carolina. There's no doubt about that. And uh, the, the industry has fought regulation at every step. They have um, tried to change laws about um, who can bring nuisance actions in the state? They have tried to create a, uh, a loophole in the existing moratorium on hog operations in the state. Um, and they have a, a, they are a powerful force in North Carolina. I mean, here, um, our lawsuit seeks to require Smithfield to be transparent about um, the basic details of their project, the pollution uh, that will be created by their project and uh, the details of their project. These are basic pieces of information that Smithfield needs to disclose to the state in order to get a permit that complies with the law. Uh, and so we are hopeful that, that, that our, that our uh, lawsuit will be successful. Of course, that remains to be seen. Um, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, what we hope is that Smithfield uh, will transition to cleaner technology to manage its hotways will be transparent with the state and with the public about the impacts of their project and the details of their project uh, and will um, will not further harm the environment and in, in, in the communities that have dealt uh, and, and borne the, the, the burden of, of pollution and health impacts for decades resulting from Smithfield's poor waste management practices. Did you or anyone else at the SELC um, reach out to Smithfield, Dominion, or the DEQ before or after filing the lawsuit? So we, SELC, on behalf of, of over a dozen organizations, submitted two sets of technical comments to the state uh, in June and again in November of last year, raising these concerns about the lack of transparency with the state. Uh, in those comments, we provided detailed um, we provided detailed technical comments to the state raising our concerns about this air quality permit. Uh, uh, we attended a public hearing and spoke at a public hearing um, and made those concerns very well known to the state and to uh, industry representatives that attended those hearings. So they are both the state and Smithfield and Dominion are well aware of the concerns that we've raised throughout this process. And what was their response? 
Well, the state, uh, after the public hearing in November, requested that Dominion and Smithfield uh, disclose several pieces of information that we that we suggested uh, that, that the state needed in order to issue the permit. Smithfield refused uh, to, to, to disclose that information. Blakely, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Owen. Every 10 years, states use the census to redraw congressional and state legislative districts. But delays in the release of 2020 census data because of the pandemic have some experts worried that could lead to extreme gerrymandering and a torrent of litigation. North Carolina Republican lawmakers are slated to begin redrawing maps this fall, only a few months before the state's primaries in March of 2022. Bob Phillips of Common Cause North Carolina says unfairly drawn maps deny fair political representation to diverse populations. There is a, an awareness here in the state, I think even more so than many other places, about the problem we have with drawing maps. Maybe not everybody across our state knows exactly what gerrymandering is, but they do know that something is not right. Phillips adds there have been more than 50 legal interventions related to gerrymandering along racial or party lines within the last few decades. Some watchdog groups are calling for postponing candidate filing in the 2022 primary to allow enough time for a proper redistricting process. Phillips says when redistricting gets underway, lawmakers should be transparent and allow for more public input. He says it's likely North Carolina, with its growing and increasingly diverse population, will get a 14th congressional seat next year. And that we will also see pressure from the legislature having to create more legislative seats out of the urban areas, which have grown in North Carolina, and fewer seats coming from the rural areas, where again the majority party mostly holds those seats. North Carolina state law bans the governor from being able to veto redistricting maps. Phillips also notes that nationwide, this will be the first redistricting to occur after the U.S. Supreme Court invalidated a portion of the Voting Rights Act in 2013. Now, districts with a history of racial discrimination no longer need pre-clearance from the U.S. Justice Department to make voting changes. For North Carolina News Service, I'm Nadia Ramlagan. Tooth decay is the most common chronic disease among young children. And as families postpone preventative dental care due to the pandemic, experts say it's important to maintain good oral health habits at home. Dr. Carrie Dove, who runs a pediatric dental practice in Concord, says lack of a normal schedule means kids at home may be snacking throughout the day, which can lead to cavities. She recommends brushing kids' teeth in the morning and at night, drinking lots of water, and staying away from chewy and sugary foods like fruit snacks. Baby tooth decay can get really severe really fast. But, you know, if you've got a diet full of simple sugars and juice and carbohydrate, then small things can get really big really quickly. Dove says one in five kids ages 6 to 11 have at least one untreated cavity. The American Dental Association recommends continuing routine checkups and cleanings in the pandemic, but the World Health Organization cautions that non-emergency dental services should be avoided wherever community transmission of COVID-19 is high or uncontrolled. Use websites like covidactnow.org to check your local infection rates. Dove notes that dentists are obsessive about infection control and are taking extra precautions to keep patients safe. Make sure you talk to your provider about your comfort level or, you know, if, if they can move you to a private room. Dentists are doing a lot of things to make people feel as safe as possible, taking temperatures, making sure everyone's wearing masks. One study published last fall found fewer than 1% of dentists nationwide had tested 
tested COVID positive, and 99% had enhanced their infection control procedures. Chief Dental Officer at United Healthcare, Dr. Richard Gesker, adds most tooth and gum problems are preventable and emphasizes it's important to stay in touch with your child's dentist. Some individual dentists and some dental plans are making telephone and video consultations available. But this is only an option as a starting point for care and advice to help the patient select the best setting for them for in-person care. The American Dental Association says spending on dental care dropped by 38 percent last year and is expected to further dip 20 percent this year. For North Carolina News Service, I'm Nadia Ramlagan. That just about does it for this episode. We'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. It means a lot to us here at Eye in the Triangle, and we'd be happy to hear from you as well. That's right. If you have any questions, comments, or powerful opinions, email us at publicaffairs at wknc.org. We're also accepting applicants if you'd like to get involved with the Eye on the Triangle team. Our theme music for today's show is Chilled by DJ Quads, licensed under Creative Commons. Stay tuned for usual programming, and we'll see you next time.